You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min, currently sponsored by our good friends over at Pro Prep. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we are going to be reacting to Arsenal 1, Manchester City plus Stuart Atwell 2. Uh, looking forward to unpacking um, what was a really, really eventful game of football at the Emirates Stadium. I'm a lot calmer and uh, probably in a position to give you a much more balanced view and analysis than I was a couple of hours ago now. Uh, so looking forward to uh, talking through what was a sensational Arsenal performance in a game that I think was um, sadly spoiled by inconsistencies when it comes to officiating. Now, before we get into it, um, I'm not sitting there saying that Granite Xhaka's foul on Bernardo Silva was definitely not a penalty. I'm not sitting here saying that Gabriel definitely didn't deserve to be sent off. That's not my issue at all. My issue is around the inability of referees in this day and age, even with all the help in the world, to apply the laws of a game consistently, even just within 90 minutes. We'll come on to talk about that in a little bit more detail a little bit later on. But first of all, I want to wish you all a happy new year. Um, Hope you all enjoyed your celebrations last night. Uh, hope you all had a good time with your friends, family, whatever it is that you did. I had a really, really quiet one. Uh, sat on the couch with a nice takeaway, uh, a couple of drinks, and um, yeah, just just enjoyed chilling out, which was quite cool. Very different from my usual kind of New Year's antics, but yeah, um, couldn't stop thinking about the game today. Was really, really looking forward to the game. And those of you that caught the preview show or the preview video that I put out on YouTube yesterday, you'd have heard me quite, you know, be quite optimistic and quite positive about the fact that I felt Arsenal could get something from Manchester City today. The fact that although the, the kind of baseline of what we wanted was to see Arsenal go out there and compete with a very, very good Manchester City side, I, you know, I, I did feel like if we took the game to them, if we were brave, if we were bold, if we had the right balance in the way that we set out, we could give them a good game. And we certainly, certainly did that. So, as I said, lots and lots of positives to take away from it. And we're going to start uh, off by talking about the team selection. Now, of course, Mikel Arteta unavailable today. Mikel Arteta had tested positive for COVID a few days ago and was unavailable for this, uh, for this match. As I mentioned on the video I did yesterday, I thought that when he showed up for his pre-match press conference on Zoom from home, I thought he looked quite rough. I thought he looked like he'd really been through it with COVID over the last few days. So um, obviously wish uh, Mikel Arteta a speedy recovery. But I guess the one of the big positives from today was that his absence wasn't really felt. Now, I don't mean that in a horrible way. I don't mean Mikel Arteta stay away, don't come to games anymore. What I mean is that it shows that the ideas that Mikel Arteta and his coaching staff have implemented have been implemented so well now or, or, or at a point or at a point now where people can 
you know, people can carry it out without him necessarily having to be on the touchline orchestrating everything we do. If you look back to some of the kind of podcasts where we've been a little bit critical of Mikel and critical of the performances and critical of the team maybe not clicking into gear in the final third, one of the things that constantly comes up is the team are overcoached. Mikel Arteta is on the sidelines and he's overcoaching the team. Now I look at that very differently. Having seen the team perform without Mikel Arteta on the sideline, I now think that actually, no, they're not overcoached. Mikel Arteta is very specific and, and there is clearly a plan and a structure that he wants them to follow. There are patterns of play that he likes to see. There are patterns of pressing that he likes to see. And him orchestrating that on the sidelines over a period of time has obviously worked because now he is um, in a position where he cannot be there. And we still see that same stuff come into fruition. And we still see Arsenal playing with an intensity, a drive, um, and a real energy. Now, one of my concerns about Mikel Arteta not being there was not necessarily the tactical side of the game per se, but more so that he does give us a lot of energy from the touchline, that he does kind of feed that energy onto the players. I think it helps in the stadium as well. I think we've seen a really good connection grow between the fans and the team this year that maybe we didn't see um, in seasons gone by. So I think all of that's really important. But I think the fact, as I say, I've gone around the houses a bit, but the fact that we saw Arsenal play the way that Mikel Arteta wants us to play, with the energy that Mikel Arteta wants us to play with, with the intensity that Mikel Arteta wants us to play with, even in his absence, shows that the message now has got through to those players and that they understand exactly what is expected of them and exactly what is needed, required, um, you know, to be at that level, even without somebody standing there telling them every move. So, yeah, it's um, that's a real encouraging thing, because as I said, spoke earlier in the week on the podcast with, with Tom Canton, and one of the things I said was I was worried that we'd maybe miss that bit of intensity, worried that we'd miss the fact that Mikel Arteta is a bit of an orchestrator from the sidelines. And I wondered how that was how that was going to pan out. So obviously really delighted that even in his absence, we looked... Um, you know, to all know what our jobs were, all knew what we were doing. In terms of the team selection, Martinelli was preferred to Emil Smith-Rowe. I think that was the big question mark going into this game. Would Emil Smith-Rowe come back into the side? The answer was no. It was the right decision, um, I thought, going into the game just because of how well Martinelli's played. And it proved to be the right decision today because I thought Gabriel Martinelli, among others, was sensational. And we'll come on to talk about the individual performances in a bit. Pleasant surprise was to see uh, Takahiro Tomiyasu back in the side. I, I wasn't sure if he'd be available today, but he came in and he was brilliant too. Um, the performance overall, and I want to talk about the performance and I want to talk about the individuals and all the positives before we go down shit street and talk about Stuart Atwell the incompetence of the Premier League referees, the inconsistencies with which the rules and the technology and all of that is applied. So we'll park that for a bit. Let's talk about the performance because the performance, even when we were down to 10 men, was incredible. It was more than any of us could have ever hoped for or imagined going into this game. A lot was made of how good Man City were uh, or are. You know, Man City are flying high at the top of the Premier League. I'd go as far as saying they're the best team in Europe. They're top of the toughest league in world football. So I think to say that they're the best in Europe is not um, far-fetched. It's not crazy. It actually makes really good sense. I think we all went into this game, or the majority of us went into this game, kind of 
kind of half optimistic that we could get something out of it. But for the most part, we're just wanting to see Arsenal compete. We're just wanting to see Arsenal be themselves, uh, play their own game without kind of retreating too much, without that fear factor that we seem to have shown against Manchester City in recent seasons. And that's exactly what we got. We got an Arsenal side that were brave, that were bold, that took the game to Manchester City, that were aggressive, both offensively and defensively, in terms of the way we pressed, harried. We made it uncomfortable for Manchester City. We stopped them playing out from the back, which is something they love to do. We stopped them having control in the midfield. And I know he went on to make a mistake later on in the game. But, um, you know, Granit Xhaka played his part in that as well. Thomas Partey's got a lot of the plaudits, and rightly so. I'm going to do a section on Partey. So please do not think I'm overlooking his significance today. He was wonderful. But the midfield overall did very well. Martin Odegaard spearheading that press from the midfield as well. Lacazette working tirelessly as well. Um, so, so, so much to be positive about today. And my kind of issue right now is that we're recording this, you know, 8pm Saturday night, a few hours after the full-time whistle. It's not easy to see the significance of how good that performance was right now because we're disappointed that we lost the game. And obviously, as the days go by and the week progresses, it will get easier to kind of pick out those positives and process those positives as opposed to now where it's all still really raw and there is a lot of frustration in the air about the fact that we somehow managed to come away from a game that we were in, I'm not going to say complete control of, but a game that we were very good in um, you know, a, a game that we were so good in, we ended up getting nothing. That was my big, big issue. Um, it's hard to take. It's hard to swallow. It's hard to comprehend. But ultimately, we were good value for something today. And I think that will come to the fore a little bit more, as I say, in the coming days when when the dust settles a little bit. The atmosphere at the stadium was, was electric. Um, I had a couple of people tweeting me when I said that at half time, I said, the, the place is rocking. Had a couple of people tweeting me saying, oh, no, it's not. It's it's a bit hungover. I'm there. Were you at the game? What what were you watching? I, I thought the atmosphere, certainly where I was in the stadium, was, was really good and it really helped. And I think that's something that's really developed uh, in these last few months, that synergy between the players and fans. And even when people uh, are a little bit unsure, even when people maybe don't know if Mikel's the right man or maybe don't know if some of these players are good enough. The great thing that we're seeing now is that there is a there is far more support for this team than there has been in years gone by. There's less of the moaning, there's less of the groaning, and there's more of the cheering on and getting behind people. And I loved it. Um, I, I really did. And, and as I say, this is something that's been there now for a few months. And, and there's a significant improvement in the vibe and atmosphere and feeling around Emirates Stadium. And that's because the team are progressing. That's because people feel bought in to the likes of Aaron Ramsdale, Bukayo Saka, Gabriel Martinelli, Martin Odegaard. You know, you, you feel like you, you can relate to these guys. You feel like they want to be playing for the Arsenal. You feel like they appreciate, understand what it means to play for the Arsenal. And they're very talented players. And we're excited about the future. And we're now going into games, games like this, where, you know, as I say, I, I, my, my opinion doesn't change. We haven't, um, you know, our season's not falling apart because we lost to Man City. I, I said that for me, in my opinion, we were in a place where this game was not going to define our season one way or the other. Get something out of it. Great. Don't at least produce a performance. Um, it's not a free hit, like people say. 
or like people were trying to kind of goad me or, or tempt me into saying. But it's a game that doesn't really change where Arsenal are at overall. We know that we're not at City's level. We managed to compete, though, on an individual level um, today. And we managed to compete in a one-off fixture, which shows that we are closer to them than we were previously. It doesn't mean that we're all that way there. So please don't take it that way. Nobody's sitting here saying that because we outplayed Manchester City for large parts today, that we're a better side than Manchester City. But there is lots to be encouraged about, lots to take positives from. The way we press is aggressive, but it's also very, very, um, it's very measured as well. Does that make sense? It's, we, we're aggressive in certain areas of the park, but we also are all doing it in unison. And and previously, when we started trying to press as a team, you'd find that it would happen sporadically. It would happen in bits and pieces. You'd see some players do it, others wouldn't follow it up. And as I always say, a press needs to be followed up. It needs to be almost like clockwork, a bit like a Mexican wave where it just goes around the stadium and, and it's just constant. That's how a press needs to be, right? The frontline press, the line behind them press, the line behind that press and everybody needs to do it in a in a way that is coordinated aggressive but is also able to shift and adapt depending on what the opponent's doing with a ball if you're too rigid in your pressing and in your plan for pressing you can get played around easily because people will quite um, quickly suss that out but we were very adaptable we did it cohesively which was key and I thought that Although we took the game to City and, and really had a few good chances of our own, a couple from Martinelli, one off the back of that wonderful run uh, that he did in the in the first half. Although we we posed an attacking threat, I thought that probably the most impressive thing in that first period, because you know you can get at City, was that we stopped them playing. And that was down to that press and the aggression of it and the um, you know, the way it was it was just so well coordinated. So credit to Arsenal for that. In terms of individual performances, uh, the man of the match for me has got to be Thomas Partey. That is the Thomas Partey that we've been waiting to see for ages. And I've been quite critical of Thomas Partey recently. And I've sat there and said, well, you know, people always point the finger and, and look at other players in that midfield. And often Thomas Partey's not done a great deal more. Yet he always seemed to escape that criticism in a lot of people's eyes. And that used to frustrate me. Today, though, Thomas Partey deserves all the praise in the world because he was brilliant. He controlled the midfield. He ran the midfield. He didn't just progress the ball, which is what a lot of people always want to see from Thomas Partey. He won it back. He battled. He covered spaces. He tracked back and ran at times, even beyond the centre-backs, when we'd squeezed forward and Manchester City were looking to peel us off. Uh, pick us off. So I thought Thomas Partey was sensation today. I would go as far as saying that was Thomas Partey's best game in an Arsenal shirt. Obviously, he's going off to AFCON and it's Sod's Law that in his last game uh, before going off to the competition, we see the best Thomas Partey that we've probably ever seen in an Arsenal shirt. But you can at least take encouragement from the fact that he is starting to find himself. And look, a lot of people, and we're going to come on, and I'm going to criticise Granit Xhaka as well for his part in the penalty. There's no question about that. But it goes to show, doesn't it, that Thomas Partey, to be at that level, needs a solid partner next to him. And I think he is, he's, over the last few weeks, he's really benefited from, um, from having a solid partner next to him. And uh, that's what, what I think is kind of giving him 
it's not to say that's why he played well today, right? That that would be taking it away from Thomas Partey. I'm not doing that. But I'm saying that the the basis with with a Xhaka and an Odegaard ahead of him, I think is 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 one that allows Thomas Partey to be closer to his best than what we've seen um, in a long, long time. I thought Gabriel Martinelli was unreal today as well. Um, in the first half, he was a menace to Manchester City all the time. He was coming down that left-hand side. He was winning balls back. He was driving. He was carrying. He was um, getting shots off that one. He tried to bend into the far corner. It was wonderful. Just, uh, just you know, it was much closer than it initially looked when I saw the reverse angle. Um, there was obviously that brilliant run, which was almost like Alexis Sanchez, like where he just picked up the ball, just head down, go, and uh, drove into the penalty area, made the opportunity and dragged it just wide. I thought he was so, so good. I thought he was really unlucky with that opportunity that came his way after that mix-up at the back from Manchester City. A lot of people have been quite critical of Gabriel Martinelli for missing that opportunity. And I would say this, he's got to bloody move Stuart Atwell out of the way. You know, he, he has to readjust and adapt his run and approach toward the ball because Stuart Atwell somehow finds himself in the middle of the incident. I mean, as if his performance today wasn't shocking enough, he's having an impact on the game in that way as well. That doesn't completely excuse Gabriel Martinelli of missing the opportunity, but it certainly didn't help. Watch that replay back and check it out, um, you know, because it, it certainly plays a part. But... I thought Saka was great today. I thought Odegaard was great. I thought Gabriel was great until what happened. I thought Tommy Asu was brilliant. I thought Tierney was brilliant. I thought everybody to a man today in an Arsenal shirt was fantastic. And, and I'm so, so pleased with the level of performance that we showed today. Unfortunately, we didn't get the result to go with it. And we're going to come on to talk about those decisions um, and all of that now, because it is the biggest controversy in the game. It is the, the game upon which the, the match changed. Um, and it's it's the moment upon which I feel we were very hardly done by. So what's my issue then? Because I've said to you that I think there is an argument that Granit Xhaka does commit a foul on Bernardo Silva. I've said to you that there's an argument that Gabriel should have been sent off. So what exactly is my issue here? This is my issue. This is my fucking issue. Now, excuse my language, but I'm that pissed off today. Um, that, you know, it's, I'm sorry. But you as a referee will referee football matches from week to week and all of the football matches that you referee will be different in their own way. It's the nature of our sport. It's a sport that contains so many laws that are subjective. And when you compare it to other sports where there aren't so, so, so many subjective rules, laws, whatever you want to call them, regulations, you will see that football is, is different. You know, you, you, you will see why football, it, why it's not as clear cut with football as it is with tennis or, you know, I don't know, cricket, whatever. Football is a different sport and it's a sport that is is standalone in terms of how you referee it. Because as I say, the majority of things, barring offsides, um, you know, goal line tech and all of that, everything is subjective. And my big problem with, with the referee today, Stuart Atwell, and his team of officials is not that, they gave a penalty against Granite Xhaka and it's not that they sent Gabriel off. It's the clear inability, incompetence 
and disregard for being consistent within a game of football itself. Now, I know that from one week to the next, it's almost impossible to ask referees and officials to be consistent because you're talking about different teams of officials. You're talking about different players. You're talking about different matches and you're talking about different circumstances. But at the very least, I expect a referee in a 90-minute period to referee, referee that game of football to a consistent level and apply the rules consistently to both sides. And that didn't happen today. First of all, we've got the Granite Xhaka incident. Okay, now I've watched this back time and time and time again. Does Granite Xhaka have a tug of Bernardo Silva's shirt? Yeah, he does. But I'll tell you what, Bernardo Silva's already going down at the time that he has a tug at the shirt. Now, it doesn't excuse him for doing it. Please don't take it this way. It doesn't excuse him for doing it and giving the decision or giving the referee, sorry, a decision to make. That's not acceptable and that's costly. And that's something that for all the good things that Granit Xhaka brings to this team, he needs to cut out of his game. And he's repeatedly offended in that sense. So I'm not excusing Granit Xhaka for having the pull. Not at all. What I am upset about is why has the VAR intervened and asked Stuart Atwell to go over to the screen and look at that one, but hasn't asked him to go over and look at the foul on Martin Odegaard, which is a much more clear-cut penalty in the first period. Why hasn't he applied the same protocol for both incidents? That's what I can't get my head around. It drives me absolutely crazy. Bernardo Silva's dived. Everybody knows it. He's thrown himself to the ground before the shirt pull even occurs. Rio Ferdinand and Jolian Lescott were sitting in the BT Sports studios. I watched their analysis when I came home and they both agree that he's dived. He's thrown himself to the ground. That offence occurs prior to Granite Xhaka pulling the shirt. you got the VAR. Look at it. Check it out. You'll see it. Deal with it. We've got Idiots like Peter Walton sitting on BT Sport trying to defend these inconsistencies. I'm sorry, Peter. Grow a pair of bollocks and sit there and tell us what you saw. Give us your actual opinion. What, are you on the PGMOL's payroll? Are they paying you to sit on BT Sport? Do they pay the ones that Sky Sports hire? Do they pay Dermot Gallagher? who goes on Sky Sports News on a Monday morning to defend their shit decisions. It, it drives me absolutely crazy. Grab a pair, you know, show a pair of balls and actually stand up for the fact that that was completely and utterly bonkers, the inconsistency I'm talking about. Stop nitpicking and trying to find a penalty in that situation, yet you've completely overlooked what's gone on with Martin Odegaard in the first half. Give them both as penalties, fine. No problem. I'd agree. I'd actually probably maybe agree with you. Give them both as penalties. Do not give one or do not put the referee in a position, encourage the referee to give one by sending him over to the monitor and not giving him that opportunity to have a look at the other incident. You've got to be consistent. You've got to be consistent. You've given the referee the opportunity to correct an error in a lot of people's eyes 
when he didn't give the foul against Granite Xhaka in the first place? Why didn't you give him the opportunity to correct his error in not giving the foul against Martin Odegaard? That is what drives me crazy. A lack of consistency, not just when it comes to VAR, not just when it comes to those two specific incidents. Any Arsenal player made a foul today. The yellow card came out straight away. Yet Rodri and others in Manchester City colours were allowed to make cynical, tactical fouls all over the pitch time and time again and were never punished. Rodri completely took out Bukayo Saka in the first half. I couldn't believe that that wasn't a booking. He then completely takes out Gabriel Martinelli at the start of the second half on the edge of the penalty area, and we don't even get a free kick for it. Yet this guy, Rodri, goes on to score the winning goal in the 94th minute. Now, am I upset with Granite Xhaka for making that action, which leads to the referee giving the penalty or gives them an excuse is the right term to give the penalty? Of course I am. Am I upset with Gabriel because his sending off seems so unnecessary and needless? Of course I am. But that doesn't shy away from the fact that Ultimately, this is a big problem in the Premier League. You want to call this the best league in the world. It can't be the best league in the world while referees are deciding the outcome of fixtures. It just simply can't be. You know, and 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 that's that's my view on it. I, I'm incredibly frustrated by what we saw. There was lots of niggly bits as well that the referee got horribly wrong. And when I got home and I found out that Jared Gillett was the VAR, I wasn't surprised in the slightest. These two guys, Stuart Atwell and Jared Gillett, repeatedly, continuously get high-profile decisions wrong. They're both useless. They're both awful. Why aren't they held accountable? Why aren't the PGMOL standing there going, well, hold on a minute. You know, when Keith Hackett was in charge of the PGMOL, and I know this because I've spoken to Keith Hackett on this show on multiple occasions, when Keith Hackett was in charge of the PGMOL, Referees were marked, referees were assessed, and referees, when they weren't up to it, were dropped from the roster, weren't given games, were demoted. That clearly doesn't happen enough nowadays because we're seeing idiots like Jared Gillett and Stuart Atwell. And I'm sorry to be personal, but they are both incompetent. They've proven it time and time again. Once is a mistake, twice is, you know, it is twice, three times is a habit. More than that, it's pure incompetence. So why are these guys? not being dealt with? Why are they still, why is Stuart Atwell turning up at the Emirates Stadium on New Year's Day to referee a game between Arsenal and Manchester City? I want an explanation. Why? He's not up to the task. He's shown for years and years and years that he's not up to the task, yet he still gets given these games. So my issue is not just with the decision to give the penalty, not just with the decision to send off Gabriel, but the inconsistency applied across that game uh, and the difference in the way the laws were applied to both teams. Give both penalties. I'm happy. I'm not moaning. I'm not complaining. But to put the referee in a position, and the VAR is responsible for this bit, to put the referee in a position where he can rectify or, or change a decision in one instance, but not in the other, is ridiculous. And if he did go and have a look at both and still decided that Odegaard didn't deserve a penalty, um, I'd have disagreed with it and I'd have been upset and I'd have been frustrated. But at least I would have said the protocol was the same. And so we can't complain too much because it is a decision. It's down to the referee's discretion. He was given equal opportunity to go over and look at both of those incidents. And he decided in the end that that one wasn't a penalty. You don't like it, but you've got to take it on the chin. But to not even give the ref the opportunity to see the incident um, 
on a replay for me is inexcusable. Uh, big thank you to Dev Singh um, for his uh, very, very kind super chat donation, mate. Thank you so much. He says, I'm sorry I'm late, but we were robbed. Uh, Hugh Wizzy is right. It's not sports anymore. It's entertainment. It's made for betting. Um, shameful refs. That's a great, great point. Really like that. And and the game is getting away from us if we're not careful. Uh, Tom Sambol with another very, very kind uh, super chat donation. Tom, thank you so, so much, mate. Really, really appreciate your support. He says, Peter talked himself into knots trying to justify the Xhaka penalty on BT Sports. He was comical in his explanation and it made no sense. Exactly. Stop putting these idiots, um, you know, in a position where, you know, and, and they just wind me up more. You know, go and put, an, put a, a proper referee in there. Put a proper... When I say proper referees, like I've had issues with loads of referees over the years. But go and get a referee who refereed at the highest level. Go and get a referee who was, you know, think of the Premier League ones. Mark Clattenburg, you know, again, not his biggest fan, but he refereed to a level where he was respected sort of across Europe. Howard Webb, I didn't like him either. But again, you know, you looked at him and you went, yeah, you know, he's one of the better ones. Go and get these guys. But these guys don't want to be involved. They don't want to be in that position. They don't want to be the PGMOL's lapdogs, you know, and, and instead they go and get idiots like Peter. Who was Peter Walton as a referee? I I cannot even remember a game of any significance that Peter Walton refereed. Like, might just be me, but he was just like one of those, he was the equivalent of Stuart Atwell today, right? A referee that now and again would pop up. It, it's mad. It's, it's really mad. Uh, big thank you to... Um, Sport Genius, who says Harry Gabriel's foul is made often with no yellow, completely agreed. The referee could have um, allowed that to go. He could have. Now, again, I'm not going to go massive on that decision in isolation because I think there's a case both ways. I'm going to be fair and I'm going to be honest and I'm going to admit that. You know, you got booked for whatever, scuffing the penalty spot, talking your way into trouble. We don't know exactly what it was. Fine. And then you make that challenge. If it was the other way around, I'd be calling for the second yellow as well. But it's the lack of consistency. It's the fact that Rodri was able to go around the pitch, making far more aggressive challenges and fouls than that and, and never got punished. In fact, the irony was that he only finally received his booking when he scored in stoppage time and removed his shirt. And I was wondering if he was even going to get booked for that. So, yeah, that's the, that's the problem for me. You know, it's the inconsistency, you know, I can go on all day about it. I'm going to cut it short there because it's, you know, I get wound up talking about it. But it's, for me, it's just a real shame to see wonderful players, wonderful teams, wonderful managers, wonderful coaches, wonderful stadiums, wonderful crowds, all on these shores, only to have the games decided by incompetent referees more often than not. And and the problem, you know, we're coming away from every weekend and we're talking about big decisions, controversial decisions. It drives me absolutely mad. Uh, it, it really, really does. Um, but as I said earlier on, there are so many positives to take away from what we saw from Arsenal today. Um, you know, so many. It was it was that good in, in so many ways. We were, as I said, aggressive. We were very kind of confident, which was the biggest surprise for me, right? Because I felt like given the kind of pastings we've taken from Manchester City over the years, there would be a part of Arsenal today that would be a little bit more reserved than, than normal, that would be a little bit 
um, reluctant to to be so expansive, so open and so brave at times. But credit to the guys, that mental block or, or whatever you want to call it was just completely overridden today. And we saw an Arsenal side that feared no one. And Aaron Ramsdale talked about that, didn't he? Um, in his post-match interview, which was great to hear. He said, we're a young team and we fear no one. And, and you could see that today. We're moving in the right direction. We're playing much better football. We're much easier on the eye. We're really aggressive. We're really high energy. Um, as I say, we're building that synergy between the team and the fans, uh, which can only make the Emirates a, a, an even more difficult place for people to go to. Um, unfortunately, today, I'm not going to say we were completely beaten by the referee, but we were... <laughs> I often say this, when you play against a team of Manchester City's quality, you need to be near on perfect to beat them. And we weren't perfect because Gabriel got himself sent off and we weren't perfect because Granite Xhaka pulled a shirt. And unfortunately for us on the day, it, we didn't get the rub of the green with the decisions and it cost us. Um, so that's why I say you have to be perfect. We weren't perfect in those two moments. Um, but that doesn't take away from the inconsistency shown by the officials and the failure to not even, you know, the failure to adhere to a protocol um, or, or, you know, apply a protocol consistently within a night. If you can't do it within 90 minutes, if you can't apply it consistently within 90 minutes, what fucking chance do you have of doing it over the course of a season? That would be my point. So um, really disappointed, really angry. But as I said, I think as time passes, I think when I wake up tomorrow, I feel a lot more positive about what we saw without that kind of cloud hanging over me of, of Stuart Atwell and, and Jared Gillett, the two village idiots who, who made an absolute mess of the way they handled their game today. Um, so, yeah. Uh, let's take this one from Charles Mack. I love it when we get opposition fans. He says, uh, I'm a Man City fan, not particularly proud of the win today. You didn't deserve the loss, but Arsenal on the up now is the positive to take away. Yeah. And do you know what, Charles? First of all, thanks for being a great sport and being here as well. Um, you know, I I don't blame um, Manchester City for being shithouses. I don't blame Manchester City for appealing for things. I don't blame them for making tactical fouls. I think it's something that we can actually learn from. We can look at and say, well, maybe we should be making more of those fouls in certain moments. Maybe we should be doing this, that or the other. Maybe we should be taking lessons from a side who are clearly um, really at the top of their game, even if... And, and look, the point is they're at the top of their game, but they didn't look at the top of their game today, not because I thought they were crap, but because I thought we were very, very good. Um, so I think for me, it's... Um, yeah, Arsenal are on the up, and it's really encouraging to hear people from the outside as well. Um you know, seeing that and feeling that because it makes you feel like it's not just you within the bubble that feels like Arsenal moving in the right direction. So, Charles, as I say, mate, thanks for being a great sport and tuning in. And, um, yeah, uh, it's a bit too soon for me to wish you the best for the rest of the season. But, yeah, uh, this is uh, spot on as well from Trevor. He says, if this is a taste of things to come, Harry, I think we're in a really good place. Completely agree. Um what else have we got? Uh, Palash says, uh, love hearing your karma logical takes in a fan channel culture of extremities, Harry. Yeah, I haven't been as calm as I normally am. Um, there's been a bit of swearing tonight. I do apologise um, if anyone's offended by it, but it's it's the emotion taking over. Uh, big thank you to Martin uh, for your kind uh, donation as well. He says, Harry, City fan here. Uh, completely agree with everything in terms of the ref and VAR. Arsenal were the better team today, no question. 
So happy to see Arsenal moving this way. And I think, you know what else was telling today? Rodri's interview um, after the game, he, he labelled Arsenal as an unbelievable team. And he said the way they're growing with Mikel is huge. It's massive. And although Mikel's had his critics and the project has had its critics, I, I take encouragement when I hear people of such a high standing in the game talking about Arsenal in such a good light. And I also take encouragement when I hear fans who watch Manchester City every week saying that they feel Arsenal moving in the right direction. So, um, yeah, uh, look, let's let's end it going in a positive direction because I think we have to. I think the performance was that good. It was something to be proud of. Even the um, even the uh, the anti Arteta crew, even those who have been incredibly critical of the team, and and have I would say lacked patience with with what's going on at Arsenal, are talking about how good the performance was today. And I think that's telling as well. Because there's a, it's so it, it's easy to say, it's easy for people to really stick the boot in on Xhaka and Gabriel in particular today, and I've been encouraged by the fact that although there's been a few and there's been people who have rightly said that they were both silly and rash, and they were, it's nice to see that people have not turned it to abuse and not gone down the route that we've seen Arsenal fans go down in recent years, and really stick the knife in on individual players. We're a team. We're all in it together. Everyone was was really good, barring a couple of imperfect moments. Uh, we would have come away with a result today. And and we're not don't forget as well, we were seconds away from coming away with a draw. And had we got that draw, um, a goal that came about from, you know, just misfortune, I think, at the back, if I'm being honest. I watched it back again. I've seen some people criticising Rob Holding. I'm not sure I can really stick that on him. Um, I think for me... When you think about we the fact we were so close to getting a draw and had we got that draw, then you're talking about the resilient Arsenal who outplayed Manchester City for large periods, found themselves down to 10 men, but still had the steel and the mentality and the, the, the character and the toughness to get a draw. So the narrative can change, right, quite dramatically based on the last few seconds of a football match. So I think it's important that, you know, we don't um, allow the fact that Manchester City nicked it late on to... I guess, cast a shadow over all the good things that Arsenal did today. Get some questions into the live chat. We'll take some of your questions uh, for the last sort of 10, 15 minutes or so of the show. Don't forget to hit the like button. Uh, subscribe to the channel if you are new. Uh, there's over 500 of you watching us live right now on YouTube. 500 of you tuned in right at this moment in time. Please do hit that like button. There's no reason why we can't get to 250 likes if there's 500 of you watching. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you are new. It really, really does help. Uh, so please subscribe, like, share, comment. Give me your views in the chat. Love to hear from as many of you as possible between now and the end of the show. Um, lots of super chats coming in tonight as well. Thank you uh, so much for those. Um, Dev says, feel so bad that we'll miss Partey and Gabriel for the North London derby. Really got a despised scraped against Watford, but Gabby will be a huge miss. We're not going to be missing um, Gabriel for the North London derby. It's only a one-game suspension, from my understanding, because it was a second yellow rather than a straight red. So we're not going to miss Gabriel Martinelli for that. Remember, we've got an FA Cup game as well, uh, in between that as well. So, yeah, um, I don't think... and and. I haven't checked this out, but I'm pretty sure Gabriel doesn't miss the game 
um, against Tottenham. It will just be Thomas Partey, who, of course, heads off to the African Cup of Nations. Right, get some of your questions in and let me just um, bring you a quick message from our sponsors. In the meantime, the Chronicles of Aguna is currently sponsored by our good friends over at ProPrep. It's a, a wonderful study tool for university students undertaking science, technology, engineering, or maths-related modules, and it can half your study time. They provide bite-sized videos relevant to your module or course, which you can access from any device at any time, and it's already helped over half a million students. They provide customized STEM study tools. They match your syllabus. Long lectures are condensed into short and clear video tutorials. And after the videos, you can go through what you've just learned with interactive exercises and practice questions so you'll be ready for the big day. You can even submit questions to the pro prep professors and receive video answers back within 24 hours. They've made a special offer just for Chronicles of Aguna listeners, head over to proprep.uk slash info slash football for more information. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial without inputting any credit card details. So please do check them out. Right. Uh, let's take uh, some more of your comments, some more of your questions. Michael Carpenter, thank you for your very kind donation, my friend. He says, I don't think I've ever seen so many fans stay back after a game, even when we win. Just shows how proud the fans were of the performance. Completely agree with that. Never heard boos that loud for a ref either. Yeah. Um, but I kind of like that. I like the boos towards the referee because what it does is it, it's, I'm not saying it, it leads to referees then giving you decisions in the future. But I tell you what, the next time Stuart Atwell comes to the Emirates Stadium, he'll think twice, even subconsciously of giving big decisions against Arsenal because of that reaction. There's nobody on the planet that would not even be slightly affected by that many people criticising you, booing you and, and making you feel intimidated. So for me, um, yeah, I think that was, um, I think that was a, a really big thing. And I, and I think you're right about the fans staying back as well. Lots stayed back, big chance of Arsenal, Arsenal at the end, um, as well. Everybody was incredibly proud. And even when we conceded the goals, you know, people got up straight away and started singing and chatting. And again, it goes back to that point I made earlier about that clear synergy and relationship that is developing and evolving between the fans and uh, and the players in this team. Uh, right. Let's take some of your questions uh, to wrap up. Let's take this one uh, from James Rowe. Hope you're well, mate. He says, without the presence of Arteta on the touchline, did it make it easier for Atwell to give decisions and cards against us? Obviously not including the VAR ones. Uh, yeah, I, I think it did. Uh, you know, obviously Albert Steinberg was on the touchline. He had some other coaching staff in and around him today as well. But at the end of the day, having to go up and, and explain yourself to the manager or having the manager in your face is quite uh, quite a big deal, I think. And, and to know that you weren't dealing with the manager maybe made it easier for him, again, subconsciously, um, to, to give those decisions. Look, I don't for a second, and I want to make this clear, I don't question Stuart Atwell's integrity. I'm not one of these people that thinks that somebody works that hard throughout their life to get to the point he is as a referee and then goes, yeah, I'm, or wakes up in the morning and goes, I'm going to cheat today. Um, I don't feel that was the case. I've got to be honest. But what I do feel is that somebody who isn't at the level required has been given a job that is just too much for him. And I've I've been in jobs in the past that were probably too much for me. And you, you make it up as you go along. You're almost kind of just paddling away to try and stay afloat. And that can lead to you being rash and making poor decisions and a lack of confidence in your own ability then starts to feed through. 
you start leaning on the VAR, you start leaning on your assistants, you don't want to risk giving things that might potentially be big calls um, in some instances. And in others, you feel like you have to act when maybe just taking a few seconds as a referee and taking a step back from the situation, especially nowadays in VAR, where you've got the benefit of looking at something is, is probably the best course of action. So I think Arteta's, you know, I, I said earlier on that I felt that Arteta's absence didn't have a negative impact on the team and in the way we played. But that's a great point that you raise. It may have had an impact in the way that the um, the officials, um, you know, went about the game. Uh, Ayoku says, Harry, greetings from Canada and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, my friend. He says, great performance from the boys today. Ref was awful. Is it true he's been demo- he was demoted from the Premiership for two years? Um, I have read that on social media. I haven't checked it out. But he's not a name that's been particularly prevalent in the Premier League. So it probably is uh, true or he probably has been. Um, I know he's refereed in the Premier League before, but it's not a name that I see every single week. So that there's a good chance that that is true. Um, Ian Matey says, Harry, don't you think this match in this match, if we were really mature, we could have gotten three points. Yaka again, giving the ref a decision to make. That was a pen again. Ian, I'm not even saying that it definitely wasn't a pen. In my opinion, it wasn't a pen because of the fact that Bernardo Silva is going to ground before that tug of the shirt. Nothing else in that incident other than the tug of the shirt warrants a penalty for me. Um, or even comes close. And, I mean, what's the point in having VAR if you can't really... Like, Peter Walton sat on BT Sport and was like, well, you know, we can't give the the uh, the Odegaard one because we really need to scrutinise that to find the problem. And so, so, hold on a minute. Why don't you scrutinise things? What was the point in bringing in VAR if you're not going to use it to scrutinise things? And put yourself in the best possible position to hopefully make the most accurate decision possible or the most reasonable decision possible. If you're not going to scrutinise things with VAR, what the hell was the point in bringing it in? But going back to your original point, Ian, yeah, if we were more mature as a team, we could have gotten three points. But Rodri wasn't mature in the way he was going around the pitch kicking shit out of people. A decent and strong referee pulls him up on that. And he's not able to do it for the remainder of the game. He might not have even been on the pitch to score the winning goal. So it's it's sometimes it's partly about maturity, but this team is not mature overall. You know, you're talking about Granite Xhaka in this particular instance, who should be mature by now. But overall, we're talking about a very young developing team, and we're comparing them to a Manchester City team who are three, four years ahead of us in a lot of positions in terms of um you know, years and, and and experience. Add to that, they've been able to go and really handpick the best of the best from everywhere because of their deep pockets. So, um, yeah, I think you're right, Ian. But I think one of the the things that we need to recognise, and one of the reasons I've been quite cautious about saying, "Oh, yeah, this team is definitely going to finish in the top four is because of that lack of maturity. It will show itself at various points in the season because ultimately, it's a really young group of players. Um, Steve Stone says, as disappointing as the result was today, what part of Arsenal's performance pleased you the most today? The bravery. That was the big thing for me. I never felt that prior to going down to 10 men, even when we were leading the game, or yeah, even when we were leading the game, I never felt that Arsenal sank really deep. I never felt that Arsenal made that mistake that they've been accused of making time and time again in the season of going 
well, we're winning now. Let's just drop off. We continue to be brave. We continue to play our game. We 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 adopted the mentality of the best form of defence is offence. And we really, really did that uh, brilliantly. So, yeah, I think that for me is probably the biggest positive that we never went back into our shadow. You know, towards the end, down to 10 men, blowing out of our assholes. We really needed to drop off a little bit and be that bit more conservative. But I thought for the most part, we were brave. And that for me, against a side that have spanked us pretty much every time they've played us in recent years, uh, is is a sign of progress and a sign of the fearlessness that stands this side in really good stead. Uh, Sia and Tom Bella says, Harry, what did you make of Martinelli's performance today? Thought he was really good. I thought he was wonderful. Touched upon him a little bit earlier on. Um, you know, it's... It's... Um, with Gabriel Martinelli, we've always known the talent's been there. We've always known that he has this, that he has this ability, that has this tenacity, this determination, and that he's a blockbuster player. The problem has always been that, you know, under Mikel Arteta, the injury obviously stunted him. The recovery from the injury had to be managed very, very carefully because of the the, the injury that he had at such a young age. And then he had to earn his place in the team. And he had to wait for his opportunity and he would have got more opportunities had we been in Europe and all of that. I've said it all before, but he's got his opportunity this time and he's taken it and and he's taken it and he's not looked back. And that is a testament to Martinelli as a player, as a character and, and how good he is. But also it's a testament to the fact that all this time when people, Arsenal fans, were sitting there going, oh, Mikel Arteta doesn't like him. Mikel Arteta can't stand him. Mikel Arteta is going to ruin him. Mikel Arteta is going to kill this career. Actually, it's clear and it's evident that Mikel Arteta and his staff and everybody in and around the club was working with Gabriel Martinelli to improve him because he's always been good, but he's never been this bloody good. He is much more mature tactically. He doesn't always play at full throttle, as Mikel Arteta alluded to recently. There is those gear changes in Gabriel Martinelli's game now that make him a much more effective player for longer. Um, so, yeah, lots and lots to be positive about with regards to the young Brazilian. Uh, big hello to Gosmas joining us from Cyprus. How are you, sir? Um, good to see you in the live chat and um, good to see you on the show, man. Hope you're well. Love to the family. Happy New Year. Uh, he says, Harry, do you think we'll bring in any players during this transfer window? And if so, who? I think we will. Um, I think that there is a desire within the club to bring in a central midfield player. Um, I think that's probably going to be quite important moving into the, the latter stages of the season. Um, I think it's important that we, uh, I think it's quite important that we maybe bring someone in up top as well, because beyond Lacazette now with Aubameyang seemingly out of the picture, we're quite light. But what I would say is, I think that's the kind of signing that Arsenal will probably try and hold fire on. I think the plan has always been to address that area in the summer. And I think that will remain unless, you know, an opportunity comes along that's too good um, or represents too much value for Arsenal to just overlook it. I think in the centre of midfield, though, you'll probably see some recruitment. Um, we've been linked with Bologna's uh, Matthias Svanberg quite a lot. And we're going to actually do a podcast on him with an Italian football expert this week. So looking forward to bringing you guys that, give you a bit more information and a bit more of an understanding of the type of player he is. But I do think Arsenal are in the market. We've also been linked with Bruno Guimaraes as well uh, over at Lyon. So there's a couple of players that Arsenal's um, Arsenal have on their radar. 
and that Arsenal are being strongly linked within the midfield area. It's not always in your hands, though, is it? If you can get a deal like that done in January, sometimes you'll have to wait till the summer. But I think there will be a desire to do a deal, whether that comes to fruition or not, I'm not sure. But Zvan Bergen, Bruno Gimaraisha, the two players that have been heavily linked as uh, potential midfield recruits. Right. Uh, thank you all so, so much for tuning in. Let's quickly check in where we are on the likes. We're on 170 likes on YouTube. There's over 540 of you watching us right now. Let's get the likes up to 250. Come on, get the likes up to 250. Hit the like button. It helps so, so much. Need you guys uh, to show your love by smashing the like button. And of course, subscribing to the channel if you haven't done so already. Uh, please do get involved. If you're watching this on playback, leave your thoughts in the comments. If you're listening to this via audio, please do leave us a review and uh, feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Harry Simi. You can see it on the screen um, and uh, share your thoughts with me there as well. Um, I felt like I needed that to get that off my chest, the rant about the VAR stuff, the inconsistency stuff. Um, and, and we're going to bring you another podcast tomorrow in which we'll focus more on what was so good about Arsenal from a tactical perspective. We'll really break down the game and some of the individual performances tomorrow. Um, that'll be today for those of you listening on audio. But yeah, looking forward to it. Looking forward to looking back on this really impressive Arsenal performance, even if the result wasn't there to go with it, with a calmer head after the dust is settled. And uh, right, I'll leave it there. I'll catch you all very, very soon. Until next time, goodbye. Happy New Year. Once again, check out Pro Prep, our sponsors. Hit that like button. We still not hit the 250. We're not a million miles off. Let's see if we can get there by the time the outro rolls. Until next time, goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.